off and the clock has started. Here we go. One moment, please. Doug should be here any minute now. I'm not certain what he's doing, but we should be starting shortly. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prezak, and you are listening to episode number 105. You know, and just in case you're keeping track, I have to, so, you know, I think you should too. <laughs> I apologize for the delay, but on the way to the uh, recording booth, I dropped my script, and the pages went all over the floor, and I tried to get it back in the right order because if I didn't, this podcast would probably sound stupider than it usually does. So I got them back in the right order and now we may proceed. <laughs> and now to get things going, first, we need an Iceland update. Yeah, nothing. That's okay. I have officially given up on Iceland. I have now moved my attention to the country of Bolivia. Take that, Iceland. Bolivia is bordered by none other than Chile, Peru, Argentina, Brazil, and Paraguay. And guess what? All of them, all five, have downloaded at least one episode of 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bolivia is literally surrounded by five countries who had at least 20 minutes to spare. So there you go. Come on, Bolivia. What have you got to lose? Just It's just 20 minutes. You probably wait longer than that at the La Cocina restaurant in Samayapata, Waiting for your uh, Chipotle burger that's coupled with Greek fries. I hear it's excellent, at least according to TripAdvisor. <laughs> and I would like to ask Elena to step in here for just a second. Bienvenido, Bolivia. Espero que disfrutéis de los espectáculos. Thank you, Elena. Come on, Bolivia. It's only 20 minutes. And I'm counting on uh, Chile and Peru and Argentina, Brazil and Paraguay. Y'all must know somebody in that country right next door to you. <laughs> Yeah, like I know somebody from Canada, too. <laughs> All righty, enough of that. This episode posted on the day after Thanksgiving, and you probably know it as Black Friday. Now, while every other country in the world could really care less about America's Thanksgiving, some countries have actually jumped on board with the pre-holiday sales of their own. In particular, the aforementioned Canada. Well, Canadian retailers wanted to keep shoppers on their side of the border, halting the uh, annual trek to the U.S. for those big deals. So around in 2008, Canada started to offer Black Friday deals to compete with the ones in the U.S. and keep all their bargain hunters on, on their own side of the border. Now, if you don't know what Black Friday is, well, the definition of Black Friday, and I'm using those air quotes, you just can't see them, but trust me, I'm using them. The definition has evolved over the years. The earliest known use of Black Friday to refer to the day after Thanksgiving occurred in November of 1951. It referred to the practice of workers calling in sick on the day after Thanksgiving in order to give themselves a four-day weekend. However, that definition really didn't catch on. But around the same time, the terms Black Friday and Black Saturday came to be used by the police in Philadelphia and Rochester to describe the crowds and traffic congestion accompanying the start of the Christmas shopping season. Now, in 1961, the city and merchants of Philadelphia attempted to improve conditions, and a public relations expert recommended rebranding those days as Big Friday and Big Saturday. <laughs> 
But those terms were quickly forgotten. I don't know how much they paid that public relations expert. As the phrase Black Friday gained national attention in the early 1980s, well, merchants kind of objected to the use of the uh, parking is going to be a bitch term to <laughs> refer to one of the most important shopping days of the year. They suggested an alternative definition that retailers traditionally operate at a financial loss for most of the year made their profit during the holiday season, beginning on the day after Thanksgiving. Accounting practices would use a red ink to show negative amounts and black ink to show positive amounts. So Black Friday under this theory is the beginning of the period when retailers would no longer be in the red. Oh, you guys really fooled us with that one. <laughs> there you go. Black Friday, that's when they make all their money. But that's not what this episode is about. <gasps> Let's get back to that whole parking is going to be a bitch thing. And, and where is everybody parking? At the mall. There were a couple of malls around here where you needed to pack up the car with blankets and leftover turkey and then go camp out overnight in the parking lot to have a fighting chance on Friday. Well, that was until retailers decided, hey, let's start Black Friday at midnight on Thanksgiving. You know, just seriously, just search uh, Black Friday crowds on YouTube. <laughs> so, yeah, malls, that's where this story starts. And, you know, I did a little research so you didn't have to primarily because you're out shopping. For nearly as long as people have existed, there have been sharing, bartering, selling, and consuming resources. To trace the complete history of retail commerce, we must travel to the time when woolly mammoths still walked the earth. People exchanged cows and sheep and trade as far back as 9000 BC. The first proper currency extends as far back as 3000 BC in Mesopotamia. <laughs> Got that? Yes. The first retail stores happened to be a little bit further down the line. By 800 BC in ancient Greece, people had developed markets with merchants selling their wares in the Agora in the city center. And let's be clear here, Europe and the rest of the world were way ahead of us here in the U.S. in setting up business centers. But we flash forward here a couple of thousand years, and now we have malls and mega malls and modern mammoth international retail giants like uh, Walmart and Costco and Target. So just how did we end up with these malls and massive parking lots where I can never remember where I park? Well, let's mosey on back a bit to the time of mom and pop stores of the 1700s and 1800s. You know, these were small, little, family-owned, independent businesses. In the 18th and 19th centuries, and particularly by the 1880s, these stores were everywhere. Many of these stores were uh, drug stores and general stores selling everything from groceries to fabrics to uh, toys and tools. The pioneering spirit of people moving west and both opening up and shopping at local general stores evolved as the U.S. moved up into the 20th century. So it took us a while, but we sort of caught up with the rest of the world. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, agriculture was replaced by manufacturing and industry. Oil, steel, textile, and food production in factories brought new jobs and a new standard of living. With more money available, department stores like Macy's in 1858, Bloomingdale's in 1861, and Sears in 1886 began popping up in cities like New York and Chicago. The stores didn't just sell items. They also provided demonstrations and lectures and entertainment events that appealed to the newly wealthy customers looking for how best to use their disposable income. Who amongst us has not been suckered by the, hey kid, look at this Ginzo knife demonstration. This is the knife your mom would want for Christmas. <laughs> I resemble that remark. The first cash register was invented by James Riddy 
1883. Reddy was a saloon keeper in Ohio, and he nicknamed his invention the, quote, incorruptible cashier. <laughs> a bell sounded when a sale was completed, leading to the phrase ringing up, which is a phrase still used today. In the 1920s, credit cards or charge cards began to take hold of the retail shopper. However, these early cards were usually issued by hotels or individual businesses and could only be used within their companies. The first universal credit card that could be used at multiple establishments was the Diners Club card in 1950. By the way, a Diners Club is now a direct banking and payment services company owned by Discover Card. <laughs> Does anybody still use a Diners Club card? The first bank-run credit card was started by the Bank of America in 1958. Unlike today, credit cards' main use back then was so people didn't have to travel to a bank to withdraw money to shop. I know what you're saying. That's fine and dandy, Doug, but what about the malls? I'm getting to them. You know, that was a lot of research and I didn't want to waste it. So when we return, everything you wanted to know about malls and just where are the biggest malls in the entire world. Don't go away. That was quick, wasn't it? <laughs> and in case you were wondering, the Northside Shopping Center is in Ireland. I think there's one in Miami too, but whatever. All right, jumping back into it. Now, the first shopping mall, and I'm using those air quotes around the word mall again, in the United States was the Country Club Plaza, and it opened near Kansas City, Missouri in 1922. The Country Club Plaza was constructed as the business district for a large-scale residential development. It featured a unified architecture, paved and lighted parking lots, and operated as a single unit. In the later half of the 1920s, automobiles clogged up the downtown business districts of the big cities, so small strip centers were built on the outskirts. These centers were usually anchored by a supermarket and a drugstore and had a bunch of other convenience-type shops. The typical design was a straight line of stores with space for parking in front. Now, many experts consider the Highland Park Shopping Village in Dallas, Texas, that was developed in 1931 to be the first planned shopping center. Highland Park occupied a single site and was not bisected by any uh, public streets, and its storefronts faced inward away from the streets. In the uh, 1930s and 40s, Sears Roebuck and & Company and Montgomery Ward set up large freestanding stores with on-site parking away from the big cities. But those standalone department stores were transformed into anchors just about 10 years later. The early 1950s marked the opening of the first two shopping centers anchored by full-line department stores. Northgate in Seattle, Washington was two strip centers face-to-face -face with a pedestrian walkway in between them, and that opened in 1950. And Shoppers World in Framingham, Massachusetts, which was the first two-level center, that opened the following year. However, the more modern concept of malls, you know, physical shops all connected into one location, that began in 1956. The Southdale Center in Edina, Minnesota, opened as the first fully enclosed mall with two-level design. It had central air conditioning and heating, a comfortable common area, and more importantly, it had two competitive department stores as anchors. Southdale is considered by most industry professionals to be the first modern regional mall. 
That's right, enclosed malls have been around for less than 60 years, meaning me, uh, I mean your grandparents, <laughs> might be older than the first enclosed mall. Oy. The enclosed space additionally created an environment away from the real world, which could explain why shoppers spend hours roaming around malls instead of going straight home. Unless you live where I do and it's 114 degrees, you go to the mall because it's air-conditioned. Less than a decade later, there were over 7,600 shopping centers or malls in the United States due to the growth and development following World War II. The growth of these shopping centers also correlated with the growth of automobiles. With cars available to the masses, more people were leaving cities and commuting from the suburbs where these malls were located. 2007 marked the first time a mall was not built in the United States something that hadn't happened since the 1950s. Sadly, the story of the mall is turning dark, and I mean literally. The once hyper-popular American malls are going belly up as shoppers flock to online retailers instead of the sprawling brick-and-mortar locations. Between 2007 and 2009, over 400 malls closed. Nick Egelanenian is the president of the retail consulting firm SiteWorks, and he told the Wall Street Journal that in 10 years from now, there will be approximately 150 malls left in the United States. That's down from 2,500 locations in the 1980s and just over 1,000 today. The shopping malls have been a longtime fixture of American culture, but they've suffered for decades amid the rise of online shopping, a decline in visitors to department stores, and more recently, the COVID-19 pandemic, which kept consumers at home. In 2020, CoreSight Research projected that 25% of the country's approximate 1,000 malls would close shop in the next three to five years. Instead of tearing down the vacant malls, the dead or dying malls are being converted into mixed-use centers, including apartments and churches, industrial and office space, or sometimes even school campuses. But not all malls are closing, and as promised, I have the list of the largest malls in the world, so let's put on some happy music. Now, this list of the largest malls in the world is based on the amount of gross leasable area. This is the number of square feet the property has for revenue generating activities like retail, dining, and amusement. So if you're ready, I'm gonna start at number six, and this is the West Edmonton Mall, which is 3.77 million square feet. The West Edmonton Mall in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, was the largest shopping mall in the world from 1981 until 2004 and is currently the largest mall in the Americas. Besides 800 stores and services, the mall includes the largest indoor amusement park in the world, the largest indoor water park in the world, and an ice palace, which is scaled down version of an NHL regulation size rink, so it's not the largest in the world. Number five, the Dubai Mall, also at 3.77 million square feet. The Dubai Mall is part of the Burj Khalifa complex, the tallest man-made structure ever built, at over 12 million square feet, which is equivalent in size to more than 50 football fields. The Dubai Mall is the largest shopping mall in the world based on the total area, but the same size as the Western Edmonton Mall if it's based on leasable space. And I said this list is, so it's a tie. Number four, the SM Mall of Asia at 4.22 million square feet. 
The SM Mall of Asia in Metro Manila, the Philippines, opened in 2006 and consists of four buildings interconnected by walkways. I love this part. It features a 20-seat tram which takes shoppers around the mall grounds. Oh man, the mall here needs one of those. Number three, the Central World. It's 4.62 million square feet. The eight-story Central World in Bangkok opened in 1990 and is the largest shopping mall in Thailand. It marketed itself as a middle-class shopping center opposed to the upper-class marketed Siam Paragon, which isn't on my list. <laughs> Number two on the list is the Golden Resources Mall at 6 million square feet at uh, one and a half times the size of the Mall of America. We'll get to that in a minute. The Golden Resources Mall in China was the world's largest shopping mall from 2004 to 2005. Now, although the developer of the mall initially estimated that the mall would have 50,000 shoppers a day as of 2004, I don't know what it is now, the actual number was far smaller, as few as 20 an hour. One problem was that the prices of most of the items sold were far beyond the purchasing ability of most of the ordinary Chinese. Well, there's some good planning there. And now, the largest mall in the world is the New South China Mall at 6.46 million square feet. The New South China Mall in Dongguan, China is the largest mall in the world based on gross leasable area. The mall features seven zones modeled on international cities, including a replica of the Arc de Triomphe in Paris and the canal with gondolas from Venice. What it doesn't have is customers. Since opening in 2005, the mall has suffered from a severe lack of occupants. Much of the retail space has remained empty with over 99% of the stores vacant. You heard me, 99% are vacant. The only occupied areas of the mall are near the entrance where several Western fast food chains are located. It has been nicknamed the largest ghost mall in the world. Ouch. So bigger isn't necessarily better, we can assume. <laughs> Those are the global largest. Let's take a look at the largest in the United States. As for the United States, well, number six takes us to the Del Amo Fashion Center in California. This mall was originally two separate shopping centers whose owners merged in 1981 to form 2.5 million square feet of mall we know today. Number five is the Adventura Mall in Florida. The Adventura Mall in Miami, Florida may not take the top spot as the biggest shopping mall in America, but the 2.7 million square foot mall ranks as Florida's number one. The Adventura Mall. The Adventura Mall boasts upscale stores, six department stores, and over 300 retail shops that bring in 28 million shoppers each year. Taking the fourth spot for the biggest shopping mall in America is the South Coast Plaza Mall in California. This 2.8 million square foot mall is the West Coast biggest shopping mall with over 275 retailers. In 1967, the Stegerstrom family opened the South Coast Plaza in one of their lima bean fields. <laughs> There's some trivia for you. Third place goes to the King of Prussia Mall in Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. This mall measures just under 3 million square feet. The King of Prussia Mall brings in 20% of Philadelphia's tourism and has been a frequented destination for locals since 1963 when it opened. All right, the second largest shopping mall in America is the American Dream Mall in New Jersey. 
The American Dream is the home to more than just your average clothing stores. This mall is so diverse that it even has a Nickelodeon Universe theme park, an indoor ski slope, and the DreamWorks water park. <laughs> I want to go visit that. And the largest mall in America is the Mall of America <laughs> in Minnesota. In total, the Mall of America sits on 5.6 million square feet of land. And for comparison, to give you uh, some of the idea of the size, that's roughly 71 soccer fields or football fields, whichever one you want. The Mall of America first opened in 1992 and since its opening has been one of the most visited attractions with over 40 million visitors every year. 520 retail stores, 50 restaurants, and if that wasn't enough, the mall even has America's largest indoor theme park and the Sea of Life Minnesota Aquarium, which is home to over 4,500 sea creatures. I counted them all. <laughs> oh, okay. So there you go. Everything you ever want to know about malls. <laughs> With that, I'm going to wrap up the show. But first, what have we learned? Well, we learned that Doug has given up on Iceland and moved on to Bolivia. We learned that Doug is apparently older than the first indoor mall. That sucks. We learned that a cash register used to be called a incorruptible cashier. And we learned if you want to go to the biggest malls on the planet, you have to go to Asia or Canada, whichever is closest. <laughs> that will wrap it up. I know we ran long. I appreciate you sticking around unless you push stop at 20 minutes exactly. Then you're not going to hear this, but it, who cares? Uh, I do appreciate you listening. And, you know, I'm going to talk to you next time. I, I really am. And that will be uh, that will be my traditional gifts to buy show. <laughs> so you don't want to miss that episode. Till then, I will talk to you again next time on 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com, and uh, you can... Uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And all, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.